Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. And today, I am very excited to have a special guest here. He's one of the uh, Probably one of the first, like you know, proverbial thought leaders I met in the uh, the sales space reached out to me a few years ago, and we've built a really good relationship. Uh, he's the leader of the Harris Consulting Group and uh, Surf and Sales, uh, Richard Harris. How are you doing today, Richard? I'm good, man. Good to see you. Always good to see a, a Surf and Sales alumni as well. So, you know, free plug, shameless plug. Don't care. It's all good. No, no, it's a, it's a good plug. It's probably the, the, the coolest event I've ever been to down in Costa Rica. I got to hang out with a bunch of other salespeople and learn a few things and learned how to surf too. So that, that didn't hurt. Um, so Richard, maybe just to start off, just help uh, maybe the audience get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about who you are, your experience and, and what you do. Yeah. Um, Richard Harris and always wanted to be in sales. So I'm a little bit different, right? I actually always wanted to be in management and leadership. Uh, both my parents, you know, my dad sold insurance. My mom's a financial planner slash stockbroker. So I was sort of surrounded by stuff. So it was sort of natural for me to, to want to flow into it based on my personality. My sister, on the other hand, is the artist, uh, sort of the vagabond gypsy, you know, travels around and sort of makes life work for her, which is something I wish I could embrace, but I just can't. I'm too structured. Um, first real job was at the Gap, um, selling clothes. So yeah, first real sales process, Gap Act, greed, approach, product knowledge, add on clothes and thank you. So, um, you know, that was my very first one and moved into management, figured after college, like, oh, I'll keep working at the Gap because, you know, jeans and t-shirts, no ties. Like I was very rebellious in that way. Um, and then just fell into selling different, different things. I sold you know, for those old enough classified ads, you know, in the back of a newspaper, I sold uh, educational software, I sold um, SaaS platforms and, and API management. So I've kind of been through a lot of stuff, uh, but that's that's the quick version. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, what, one of the things that I personally have come to really appreciate about you is that you are someone who I think keeps it real with everybody that you meet. You're very honest. You're very direct. Um, and I, I, would say that's true, not only when I encounter you at surf and sales, but also in modern sales pros forums, like really anywhere where people interact with you. Tell me a little bit about why you think it's a winning strategy. I, I love the authenticity, somebody who's written about it. Um, why do you think that that's like a, the best approach for, for really anybody today? Well, I think all we got is our last name and our word. Right. Um, that's not my quote. I've heard it somewhere, somewhere before, but that's about all you got. You know, you and I've not always agreed on stuff. Right. And, um, and we've still worked through it. Right. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I think I, I once crossed a line with you and you called me out on it, which is great because that's the disadvantage of being too authentic is that it's a double edged sword. You know, um, you sometimes don't know where that line is. Uh, it's been beneficial for me as a, consultant and trainer in that I don't have to play politics. That's another part of the double-edged sword is I'm not good at corporate politics. I'm just not. And if I hear buzzwords and stuff, like I just, it makes my skin crawl. And I, you know, in the right situation of business, I'll tell, I'll call people out and be like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, tell me what that means. I hate buzzwords. Tell me what that means. So 
So finding that right balance is important for everybody. I do think you need to be authentic to yourself and who you are. Um, for me, just, you know, you know me long enough to know about my, you know, I've always, you know, been an advocate for mental health. I know where it comes from, which then makes it easier for me. A lot of people are just authentic and they don't necessarily have the, the deeper personality, you know, challenges that where I think it came from. Right. So, um, so anyway, so that's the long-winded story of it. I mean, you kind of uh, proved proved my question right, right? So um, I guess like, you know, as part of this, like, I, you know, something that I think you do really well and actually something that I took after you as like a learning from surf and sales was like building your personal brand, right? Like you're, I, I, you're very good at kind of pushing out meaningful content to people. And what, I, what I've always appreciated is that it's not like a lot of the fluff that you see out there. Like I always find that it's really comes from the heart. It's, it's tactical, uh, but it's also consistent, right? Like, how do you maintain that? How do you kind of stay on top of, you know, your personal brand, making sure that you're pushing out meaningful content to people, but doing so in a, you know, in in like a truly meaningful and authentic way. It's a challenge for me. Like, this is one of those places where my envy kicks in, right? Like I post as much as a lot of other people, um, but I don't necessarily always get the views, right? So I get caught up in that because that's my embassy, my envy, my jealousy. That being said, I post because I post, right? Um, I post because I think it's helpful for other people. And I don't, I don't go down that, that silly path of, well, you know, if we just help one person, I'm like, fuck that. Right. Like, it's more like my intent is that if I put something out there, I hope it helps more than one person. I would think that it does when I do certain topics, you know, mental health in particular, uh, those work really well when I talk about negotiation, severance pay, you know, those kinds of things. So the consistency piece is good. I'm not as good as others, right? Like the algorithm, right? Like this is the part about LinkedIn we hate. Um, you know, the algorithm says you're supposed to post at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Well, that's six o'clock California time. I'm not getting up at 540 to write a post every day, right? And yeah, there are tools out there that will let you schedule them, but those don't seem to do as well. So I post when I can post and sometimes I, I don't necessarily follow the algorithm. Um, so that's what I do and why I do it. And I, I think it started from a place of wanting to help others because I was feeling down about myself, um, which they say, right? Like all the studies say, like, if you're not feeling good, go help somebody, right? Because that person will appreciate you. And boy, don't we like it when someone, when we feel appreciated. And I don't know that that's selfish, you know, because, I'm, oh, I need to be appreciated. I think it has to do with, I just want to be a good human. Right. So that's, so it's, so for me, it's been a little bit of a spiritual psychological journey as much as it is like, oh, this will build my business. Um, and I realized that through the community efforts, I was able to build my, my business through that. And so it was kind of like, oh, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Um, but I'm going to move into something that, you know, on the, on, uh, on the topic of, of being human, there's, there's this whole wave of uh, artificial intelligence and AI tools, right. That are, that are kind of like, I wouldn't call it infiltrating, but just kind of like entering the world of the sales profession. Right. And even for this podcast, uh, it's sponsored by Humantic AI, which is a company that you and I are both um, involved with in different ways, right? And so there's all these different tools, AI tools that are entering the uh, the, the, the SaaS, the sales environment. Um, I know you talk with clients about this all the time, Richard. You, you hear a lot of different perspectives. What do you think is the biggest misconception about AI in, in the world of sales right now? Biggest misconception? Um, there's a, probably a couple. One is uh, the fear. We, you know, which again... Th- 
aligns with me is that you better lean into this shit. It ain't going away. Right. And so for me, you know, I read one article a day. That's my whole thing. How do I get smarter? I try to talk to different thought leaders. The other day I was looking for uh, women who know more about AI and sales because every time I see a panel, it's a bunch of guys. And so I'm kind of annoyed by that. And I'm like, well, who are these women? Because people ask me to do stuff all the time and I'm happy to do it and I will, but I'm like, well, where's the diversity? So I think, I think one misconception is that it's male dominated. I don't even think people are conscious of it. Um, although maybe the men aren't conscious of it. I would assume other people are different of different, you know, backgrounds. Um, so I think that's a misconception that it, it, it's only smart men who know about it. I think that, um, we think the role is going to replace some sales roles. It will, but it will also adjust them. Um, a good friend of mine, Howard Brown said that, you know, and you're starting to see it is that people are writing about, you're going to have to be an input specialist. So I'm a sales input specialist. He called it a, 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 a input engineer, I think a sales a sales prompting engineer. So, um, so I think it's more of a specialist cause I don't, I like the idea of the word engineer. I just, it, I don't know the word engineers, right? <laughs> so, so we're going to have to know how to ask the questions, right? Asking it from a persona perspective, asking it from, you know, for a humantic to say, write this so that Jeff Kerchick likes it, not how Richard likes it. Right. You know, we're going to fall into that space of, well, would you respond to that email? It's like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't matter if I would respond. It matters only if the other person responds. So therefore I need to know that personality insight. And I can use these tools to say, write it based on this industry, write it based on companies of this size, this many employees, this much revenue, write about it from this title's perspective that means something to them based on the challenges that are on this, uh, you know, K one report or, or what's the 10 K report or whatever the, you know, the, the, so, so that you can ask it better questions rather than, Hey, just write in a, uh, a tool that, you know, write an email that says, uh, you know, the focuses on this industry and these pains, like that's not deep enough anymore. I think that's one thing. I think the other misconception is that, um, sales is going to get harder. I think it's actually going to get easier. In fact, I think sales has been easier in the last 10 years than it ever has before. Another misconception is that, you know, our prospects have more information now, right? They're 70% of the way down the journey. I'm like, no, they're not. They're not 70%. 70% means I'm talking to procurement. Trust me, that isn't happening, right? Um, and more importantly, we have more knowledge than they do. We actually have personality knowledge. We know they're what makes them tick. We know how to do this. The challenge we have is just breaking through the noise. That's it. So, um, and there is no buyer's journey. There is no such thing. Another misconception in sales, including AI, there is no buyer's journey. There's a seller's journey that we create, and then there's a buyer's experience. And that's where people choose is through the experience, not through the journey. The experience through a journey for which sales and marketing create. Yeah, so I like I like how you distinguish between like the buyer experience versus the buyer's journey. Like what do you what do you mean by that? Well, I mean there is no journey. There isn't. Like the journey, you know what the journey is? Maybe they google something. Okay, after that it's done. 
their journey now is my journey that I created. I, they land on my webpage, they fill out a form, they download a white paper, they read about something. All of that is about what experience do they have through that? And they didn't create that journey. We did. Right. There's, there's a, there's a buyer child persona that says, I want to know more about this. That's it. Right. They kind of start down the yellow brick road. Like if you think about the yellow brick road, Dorothy didn't build it. It was already built. Now she had to take the first step and she questioned that. Right. She was wondering if she should go down this yellow brick road. Well, after that, it was all about the experience through the journey. She didn't create a buyer's journey. She just had an experience. Makes sense. You made a comment earlier that I, that I thought was interesting. And it's just about like some of the misconceptions around how selling has evolved and that how maybe some of that's overhyped. You, you use the example of you know, the buyer not being 70%, you know, down the road and that being a little bit of an exaggeration, but assuredly, you know, sales is always evolving. Um, and especially with, you know, these AI tools and uh, things like that, you, you made a comment too about something along the lines of like, people will have to change a little bit about how they interact with these tools or like how they sell. I forget exactly what it was, but I guess the question is like over the last five to 10 years, how do you think that, you know, that things are changing and how do salespeople need to adapt to this, uh, you know, ever-changing environment? So I think a lot of the sales is the same thing and you're going to have to double down, right? You know, you know, for those, you know, you know me, Jeff, you know, my, my, my theme is I teach reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when to do it. And they have to be fearless, right? The challenge with that is that we have these ridiculous goals and, you know, founders, you know, and it doesn't even mean startup world. It's everywhere where the goals are just, you know, they're pipe dreams. They're, they're they smoked a bunch of hopium. Um, and so I think the conversation of the rep has to be better, which is what I've been preaching for 10 years. Like there's nothing new to what I teach. Um, it's about how do I have a authentic, meaningful conversation that respects the mind space of the prospect or customer, if you're in customer success, that gets in there and has a conversation based on their perspective. Once I understand that, then I can adjust to see if their perspective, if they're willing to change their perspective, right? That, that's our job as salespeople without manipulating them. So that part's never going to change. I think you're going to have to get better at it. I think that's the key. I think that the AI tools can help you get better at it, right? So for example, you know, yeah, it can help write better emails, but let me ask you this question. How many people have ever gone to an AI tool and said, hey, I'm interviewing with this person. What makes Jeff Kerchick tick? What kind of things would he be looking for in a salesperson? How do I say things in a way that Jeff Kerchick likes to see or hear things, right? Then I can say, these are the three questions he's gonna ask me, because we already know the standard ones, right? What's your biggest weakness? What's your biggest fault? You know, my biggest weakness is this, and it's also my greatest strength, and you know, those kind of things. Imagine if you go and you negotiate, procure, you're going into procurement. Well, you don't get to practice that conversation a lot. You really don't. It doesn't exist. So what if I went in and asked the AI tool to say, hey, help me understand procurement. How do they make decisions? What do they do? What about at this company? What about at that company? And what happens is your EQ gets better with AI, right? Just like the AI gets better, so do we. Because if I have, if I learn that from procurement, am I going to forget it the next time I go to procurement or am I going to try and remember it and recall it? 
So I think that's a, the big piece of this. Again, I don't know if I just went off on a major tangent or not. So um, pull me back in if I did. No, it was great. I, I think that's like super tactical. I love it. Um, I, I guess like I'm going to wrap it up. I have one last question for you. It is in this vein of AI as the topic du jour. But, you know, you've given some examples here, uh, maybe of the positive, but are there ways maybe that the AI could be harmful? Yeah. Well, I think I think the rush to AI is um, concerning. I think a lot of mistakes are going to be made. I think a lot of people are going to be hurt. I think jobs are going to get lost faster than they probably should because people have a misconception of how to use this AI tool in a sales healthy way. Right. And I think that's the piece that we always want to work with is what's the sales healthy way. Right. People want to be better, faster and cheaper. And typically people choose faster and cheaper, which is not better. Um, so they're going to make financial decisions that are, they believe to be rational when they are in fact irrational, right? That's another thing out of Robert Greene's book is that we rationalize irrational things so that we can feel justified in making our decisions because we are a comparison to, uh, species. We compare everything. So that's the biggest mistake. I do think we're going to, um, I don't know, you may be too young, but do you remember, did you ever watch War Games with Matthew Broderick? And uh, and it's all about a computer taking over the national defense systems and nuclear defense systems uh, of the world. And uh, I won't give away the, the key piece and it's, you'll love the technology and how, you know, 80s it is, um, but it's very <laughs> meaningful, right? It's kind of like, is the same thing of like when the Apple Watch came out and I, I Again, you might be too young, right? But I, I put up a, a image of um, of uh, Michael Knight and Kit, you know, from Knight Rider. I don't know if you knew that TV show. And he's like talking into his watch, you know, very late seventies, early eighties kind of stuff. So, um, so there's a, there's a lot of the stuff that's kind of been predicted of like what's going to happen. So that that's my concern is there is that danger and that there's no closing that barn door. I don't care what Congress passes. Oh, we're going to do really, you really think the national defense system of America and the government of the United States or any country is actually going to not do AI, even if they make it illegal, give me a break. Like, you know, don't be so naive. Um, so I'm concerned about that. I am concerned about the job losses that are going to occur. I do think there'll be new opportunities just like everything else. Um, I think there will be new tools that get made, right? Humantic's a good one. There will be, Humantic will build upon itself and will probably still need salespeople. People like people, believe it or not. People like talking to people. There was some study that was done that said, you know, I want to say like something like 60 or 70% of the people, you know, love the fact that they never made, spoke to a salesperson before they made their purchase. And then more than half of them regretted never speaking to a person because they didn't have enough information. Right. So in there is the sweet spot of AI, right? Where's the human fall in that middle spot? And that's where I think we need to pay attention. And I think the last thing I'll say around this is that I think we're looking at AI the wrong way in a sense that we're looking at, well, how can it help us as a salesperson? And it's all about execution of sales. What we should be doing is picking up the phone and asking our customers, how are you looking at AI? What do you think? Right? Even if I'm selling 
something that's not an AI related tool, I might pick up the phone and call my customer and say, well, you know, what are your thoughts around it? How would y'all use it to buy something? How would you try? And then I understand my customer perspective. Like every product manager better be having this conversation, right? In my opinion, anyway. So that's, I think those are a lot of the misconceptions of how to use it. It's, it's particularly in sales, we're all about execution. Marketing is much smarter and they're five years ahead of us in a lot of ways because they're going to be the ones figuring this out and talking to people. Love it. Always comes back to understanding the customer. Um, really appreciate it. Richard. Thank you for your time here on Authentic Selling Live. It was good to chat with you and uh, hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, keep it authentic.